When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hi, I'm Will Summer, and welcome to the Daily Beast Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at the Daily Beast. My book on QAnon, Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon, and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America, will be available in February and is available for pre order now. And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at the Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Welcome back to a new year of fever dreams. I'm Will Summer, joined as always by Kelly Weil. Kelly, you're back from vacation. How's it going? It's good. I went to the South Pole. I met Santa's evil twin. He takes away a present from you if you were extra nice. So, yeah, I'm in present at. <laughs> Interesting way to slip in that you were really nice this year, I guess. Well, very cool. All right. So, first of all, a couple things to acknowledge. Last week, we had our mailbag app. So, if you missed that in the holiday hustle and bustle, take a look. I think we answered some great questions from our listeners. And then the big news today, as we record on Tuesday, is the utter insanity of Kevin McCarthy's attempt to become speaker. By the time this episode will come out, maybe that'll be sorted. Maybe it won't. So, we can't get into it too much today. But I did just want to say this is shaking out. It seems like Kevin McCarthy does not have the votes thus far. As I logged in today to record this, Lauren Boebert, who is one of the never Kevins, which is just insane. <laughs> she was saying that they had this meeting in the morning and it apparently got very contentious. And she said, instead of getting sworn in, we were sworn at. Oh, wow. That's what gives her the bangers on Twitter. She knows how to deploy a one-liner, doesn't know how to elect a speaker, but you know what? She's got the tweets coming. She's full steam ahead. I think however this shakes out, I mean, there's just going to be so much bad blood between so many of our congressional figures that we cover here. Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert obviously have been leading these press conferences of the Never Kevin Gang. Marjorie Taylor Greene is all in on the Kevster. So it's certainly something to watch. Yeah, I do think it's interesting. Like if, so even if Kevin does clinch this election at what cost he's really putting himself at the mercy of maybe like the five worst people in congress so i'll be interested to see what concessions they wring from him if they do indeed elect him so in terms of the concessions, the concessions that he could extract if he pulls this off or that could be extracted from him are very interesting. The most interesting one for me is this new emergence of the far right's demand for a, quote, church committee. Now, 
this is a reference to this committee, I believe, in the 70s from this guy, Senator Church, that investigated all the CIA and FBI malfeasance, looked into involvement in any assassinations, stuff like that. So they say they want a new church committee, but this time to look into, like, why didn't the FBI investigate the Hunter Biden laptop? <laughs> the Twitter files, right? Yeah, no, I mean, literally, yeah, they want the church committee for the Twitter files. And apparently that's not the ask that he's refusing to grant. The ask that they demand is that they have a bigger budget than the January 6th committee. So, I mean, this is, we've been watching here, but I think the Republican takeover of the House is going to have so many just bizarre, like, pet projects that the average person just has no idea about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're really getting into weird theater here, and that's what they're asking for. They're asking for a bigger staging budget, etc. I don't really trust these investigations to surface any big revelations, but a lot of this is being done sort of for the performance of it, and that's very interesting. The other news over the weekend was the Buffalo Bills player Damar Hamlin suddenly dropping during a game, fainting and having some sort of cardiac incident. As we record this, he's in the hospital. But for our purposes, I thought this was an interesting topic to explore briefly because now whenever someone who isn't like 100 experiences a health condition, you have all these just nasty, nasty guys on the right who come out of the woodwork and imply it's because he got vaccinated. Kelly, did you see this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, well, hey, listen, I'm a lifelong Bills fan. Like, I grew up in Rochester, New York. This is something pretty dear to my heart. I think it's pretty dear to a lot of people's hearts. It's personally causing a lot of soul-searching for me because this game is, it throws young men into a wood chipper and seeing the actual effects of that on live TV, it makes it pretty hard to justify continue watching it. But that said, now there's an additional layer of gross beyond sustained concussions. And it's that whenever somebody suffers an injury on the field, off the field, you immediately have this reaction from anti-vaxxers from the right in general saying, hmm, looks like he's lost consciousness. Maybe it's due to vaccines. And I think that's just so incredibly cynical, but it's become almost a reflexive talking point on the right. Yeah, I mean, it's so gross. You see just a couple lineup of tweets. We've got this guy named DC Drano, who I don't think we've talked about before, but is sort of a weirdly powerful figure in the sort of the DC hard right. And he said, well, a, a lot of people are going to wake up to the truth tonight. And then to Charlie Kirk saying, this is a tragic and all too familiar sight athletes dropping suddenly. Yeah, because he had cardiac arrest. He got hit at, what, like 50 miles an hour and his head snapped back. Um, come on. And sometimes I do have the capacity for shock. And I think that's what's riling me right now. Yeah, I mean, as this guy's literally in the ambulance, they're saying, oh, it's probably he probably got vaccinated and that's what did it. We talked about this with Stu Peters' Died Suddenly documentary, which kind of plays upon the same thing and also featured erroneously video of an athlete sort of fainting during a game. But of course, that was all pre-COVID, the video. But really, I mean, I think this is at its root, this mania to prove that people are dying from the vaccine relates to this idea that people who didn't get the vaccine, they had various hardships because, of course, maybe they couldn't, maybe they lost their jobs, stuff like that. And there was this implication that it would all be worth it because suddenly basically right around this period because i think we're coming up on the two-year anniversary of vaccines being widely available that there would be a mass die-off and that the stuff about the unvaccinated sperm would become so valuable and all these kind of different things and then that didn't happen and so then you have to be like well wait a minute was the vaccine not dangerous so you have to sort of just whenever someone who as i said is not 100 years old dies or has an unexpected medical incident they say oh that's the vaccine right yeah i mean on some level these people really wanted the vaccine just to 
like clear out all their political enemies, right? They wanted Mm -hmm. on a set date the microchip to activate and everyone would fall into a stupor, leaving them the unvaccinated, the only people to walk the earth. And I'm sorry they didn't get that. (laughs) You are? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, Kelly, we got to make it through. Okay, so moving on, the one of the biggest news topics right now on our beat is the arrest of international bad boys and apparently very, very bad boys, um, allegedly, Andrew and Tristan Tate. Kelly, I know there was a lot going on with the holidays. Did you have a chance to? I had just come in from my flight back from Christmas, and then I saw that the Romanian police had sweeped in into the Tate compound in Romania. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so absolutely. So listen, this is a weird timing because Andrew Tate was already trending for one of the stupid things that's made him his name so far, right? He's this quote-unquote masculine masculinity influencer what that means is he's a raging sexist who reaches out to disillusioned men and boys and tells them how to be just really gross toward women and you'll have all your dreams come true andrew tate tweeted at greta thunberg she's that climate rights activist and saying i've got like what 30 cars or something aren't you mad and she's like no get a life he was trending for that and weirdly like 12 hours after that the romanian police did indeed sweep in and bust him and his brother that's a dream culmination of a oh, Twitter fight, by it's... the way. Like I had Brian <laughs> Colfage, the We Build the Wall guy, the private wall. He was so rude to me on Twitter after I wrote an article suggesting that maybe he was a grifter and he would be like, this loser, Will Summer, all this. And then he got indicted and arrested. And I said, well, well, well. <laughs> But obviously, I'm not suggesting the Justice Department combs through who's fighting with me on Twitter and looks into folks based on that, but it could be. So for folks who don't know, I got a lot of these questions over the weekend. People said, I've kind of avoided learning who Andrew Tate is, but now the time is to learn who Andrew Tate is. We talked about this guy before, but basically his origin story is that he was a, him and his brother Tristan were seemingly pretty successful kickboxers and kind of combat sports guys. And then they transitioned into being like Instagram playboy guys. And so they would like pose with sports cars and smoke cigars and say like, if you're not drinking, I drink whiskey instead of water. like stuff like that. In Andrew Tate's case in particular, Andrew's kind of the more famous brother. He has a just absolutely vile attitude towards women. In the aftermath of this whole saga, people started saying like, well, Andrew's just about spreading positivity. And I thought it's hard to think of this as a common kind of internet smokescreen used by people who want to d- disguise their intentions and their true beliefs. But it's just like, it's hard for me to think of a less positive person than Andrew Tate. I mean, he literally allegedly treats women as chattel. It is crazy. So so after so this human trafficking investigation in Romania, which, by the way, he said a couple of years ago, I believe, that he moved to Romania because they don't take sexual assault allegations that seriously. What really bears repeating here is as we're going to hear more defenses of Andrew Tate, these are things he says very, very publicly like he is on the record talking about how great it is to be manipulative and awful to women he is on the record saying he went to romania because police don't really care that much about sexual assault allegations so this isn't a surprise it's not the guy you least expected this is his public persona exactly i mean so we'll get into these kind of specific allegations so because as you mentioned he has been so open in some ways like he's kind of one of these guys who describes what he's doing and then he's like but it's legal so don't worry about it don't worry about it. And so in this case, he and Tristan are under investigation by the what it seems to be the equivalent of the Romanian FBI for trafficking women by recruiting them in what's described as the lover boy method. So you say 
They message these women on Instagram, perhaps. There are these other reports that have emerged. By the way, I've become much more entrenched looking into the world of Romanian politics over the past few months than I ever would have expected and law enforcement. And so basically, this is kind of a classic, kind of a pimp recruiting a woman story, which is you kind of make them think that you're their boyfriend. And then it's like, well, actually, you're kind of trapped here and isolated. And I'm going to need you to engage in sex work and sort of coerce you. So these are the allegations. And the thing is that Andrew Tate was very open about was that he had sort of this group of women who all worked for him and adored him. This is in his account. And they would essentially work on webcams, performing sexually on webcams for men. They would sort of like grift these men. And so these men would say like, oh, I love you. And this woman would say, oh, I love you. I'm trying to get a new life. Why don't you send me $10,000 so that I can leave this life of webcamming? And so Tate did this interview where he was very explicit about this, where he sort of said, yeah, like we do these simps. And that's why I have a Bugatti. So it turns out, though, that that might be illegal. <laughs> because <laughs> I will say I, I've had a lot of back and forth with Tristan Tate, who is sort of the a lot of the attention here is being paid to Andrew Tate. But Tristan Tate, if you sort of following the reports, of the investigation, maybe the guy who kind of blew this operation up accidentally. So Tristan Tate is kind of a similar guy to his brother. He doesn't have quite the like TikTok infamy that his brother does. Tristan has not been on Tucker Carlson, for example. So but Tristan earlier that last year, relatively early last year, he this American woman came to visit him. And the account is that she was sort of recruited in a similar way that he told her that maybe they would have a romance. So she goes to this hideously decorated Tate compound in Romania. And then by her account, they basically wouldn't let her leave. And so she contacted someone in the U.S. who then got the American embassy involved and the embassy got the Romanian FBI involved. And then they supposedly got her out from there. And that account, that's sort of the first raid back in, I believe, April 2022. And so in that account, that is sort of like what theoretically I think gets these guys on the road. Romanians radar and then saying like huh it is weird that all of these women are here seemingly like working in this kind of subservient role to these guys and where are they getting their money and so it sort of seems like that's what kicked it off now Tristan seemed to be very confident in emails to me that this case was not going to go anywhere he was constantly emailing say when are you going to update the story to say that we were all innocent (laughs) we did nothing wrong and I said well look and he's very especially in like September October he said well look I am going back to Romania one more time to meet with the police and we're going to have one more interview and it's all a misunderstanding basically this american woman was just jealous of the other women there or some such and that the basically the police are going to come out and say like andrew tate and i were done wrong and then you better write an article buddy and was very insistent on this because my article was sort of the main english language version thing about their first human trafficking right and i said well i guess we'll see and Look, we did see. (laughs) (laughs) This is why you never go back for one last job. Should have learned that from the movies. No, I do think it's wonderful. They think that a woman called the police to try and get removed from the house because she was jealous. I mean, there's all kinds of bizarre narratives flying around this. And it's true. We haven't seen the results of a court case. But I do think a lot of these arguments in defense of the Tate brothers really have a lot of misogyny at their roots, right? They're really kind of chipping away at these women's agencies, saying if women were there, it's because they wanted to be. And Andrew Tate really does have a large fan base that he's cultivated because he glorifies doing really shitty things to women, right? So I don't think it's too unusual that we'll start seeing these 
misogynistic defenses of them and quite likely i think attacks on their victims maybe like tristan tate sort of alluded to you in those emails the other thing i would want to highlight is that there is this surveillance footage of kind of floating around twitter that appears to show these women kind of trying to leave the compound and then a security guard sort of shooing them back it's a little unclear it kind of looks like maybe also if you went out and didn't thought your uber was there perhaps and you went outside and said that someone no it's not here yet i mean it's not like particularly forceful tristan provided me with video that showed a time that women were not confined at his compound which doesn't prove a ton as you point out here kelly i mean this kind of the craziest thing about this to me until we get more details from romania is how the right embraced this guy after the first human trafficking raid. When I wrote this story back in April, I kind of had to introduce this Andrew Tate to the audience. I had to point out his ties to various American and British far-right guys that people know, like Mike Cernovich, Paul Joseph Watson, Jack Posobiec, because it really wasn't, I think he was sort of an infamous British figure, but he really wasn't that well-known in America. But after the human trafficking thing, he really blew up on TikTok with his really vile comments about women. He really took off in terms of, like, there were these cases of, oh, all these middle school boys admire Andrew Tate so much, and they sort of ape his behavior towards women. Like I said, he was on Tucker Carlson as sort of this like brave truth teller. This is the equivalent basically of people like embracing Jeffrey Epstein after his first prison stint. I mean, it's like you already know this guy's deal and they say, yeah, I mean, I think we should actually integrate this guy more into our movement. And it's so funny too, because this is the same right that's obsessed with QAnon. This is the same right that makes human trafficking the pillar of every political claim they can get their hands on, right? And it really does kind of go to show that this is pretty much theater. They're not really concerned with human trafficking allegations so long as they're facing someone that they like. And so in this case, suddenly very concerned about the due process and criminal justice system saying, well, listen, he's innocent until proven guilty. And you know what? That's true. But those are not considerations that they tend to extend to other people in the criminal justice system. So it is very interesting to see really a mirror of their own allegations about human trafficking, about sexual exploitation. And it really does not seem to be stirring any sympathy from the right. You say that there is an interesting angle to this. So the listeners know that I have recently become addicted to listening to right wing Twitter spaces, where kind of these blue check right wingers that we follow really like they sort of talk amongst themselves somewhat inexplicably because there's like 10,000 other people listening, including myself. And so I've been listening to a lot of these ones about Andrew Tate, where these guys, just as they did with the one we mentioned before, about just kind of various right-wing influencers in the U.S., often these Twitter spaces devolve to men grapple with concept that someone they like would do sexual assault and try to ignore it or somehow like rationalize it away. And so in this case, these Twitter spaces are populated by figures like Kim.com, the fugitive (laughs) mega upload tycoon. And so they have these incidents where like they'll have a Romanian lawyer who seems generally sympathetic to Tate's cause. So they have someone on to to explain what's going down here. And like the amount of crypto guys I should add in these spaces is just enormous. And so like the Romanian lawyer will say like, yes, Romania has a lot of corruption issues. But these implications that y'all are making that like all these judges and the Romanian police and all these people are on the take to like frame up Andrew Tate because he insulted Greta Thunberg. This is not, this is just not how things work here. And then Kim.com will be like, well, I don't think you know what you're talking about, buddy. And I mean, it's like, well, Kim.com, what would you know about the Romanian legal system? So, I mean, the whole thing here in these kind of right-wing online groups is like, how do we suggest that this is like the new Russia gate? That like the freaking Davos, the Great Reset guys are out to get Andrew Tate. I saw this one Twitter space called, was what Andrew Tate did bad or was it entrepreneurial? <laughs> oh, wow. 
Wow. <laughs> He's got his grind hustle mindset, folks. Like, I love how those are presented as a binary, bad or entrepreneurial. Well, it can't be both. Yes. Good point. Illegal or entrepreneurial. The final thing I would say here, but it, you, you know, you kind of tapped at this. There is a slightly interesting reaction, though, in that some right wing women who, based on my talk with them offline, have had friends and have generally had bad experiences either with Andrew Tate or their friends have or just generally with the right wing influencer men world, that there is sort of a handful of them who are saying like, oh, no, this guy's bad. He's obviously bad. He talks about how he loves coercing women in all these various ways. Why is the right so eager to tack ourselves to him? And then when I listen to these Twitter spaces and one of these women will say this and then everyone's like, shut up, shut up. So I don't think the message to just think again. No, absolutely not. I'm fascinated really with the right-wing women influencer ecosystem. And this happens every few years. Someone will make a pretty heartfelt video or podcast or something saying like, hey, this sucks. These guys don't view us as human. I'm thinking about Lauren Southern, I think made a video about this ages ago. I remember because I, I follow like just bizarre trad wives, like wife with a purpose. And she'll be blogging. People will be like, why are you even talking online? You should be in the kitchen. So these movements do give really conservative white women a little bit of marginal power occasionally but it always eventually blows up in their faces right they're always eventually lumped in with the guys who think that they should be literal property or confined to a house or maybe coerced into doing some kind of like weird cam work and i do think it's interesting when the chips fall to see do they voice their humanity there or do they just try and cling closer to the prevailing right-wing sentiment i think that's a really tough spot for them to be in and i can't say that I'm really all that sympathetic. It's such a bizarre situation as these women who have frankly made their careers in many ways off of being like, feminism stinks. There's no purpose for this. And then they're like, wait a minute, are these guys I've surrounded myself with bad? So the Andrew Tate thing is it's continuing to unroll. They've been detained for a month at some judge's order. And so I think this is having, it's just truly the bizarre nature of these guys trying to deal with the dissonance of being like, we're on the hunt for the child traffickers. Also, we're best friends with this guy who's under investigation for trafficking. Okay, Kelly. So the January 6th committee has wrapped up it released its report and they've been dumping a ton of text messages revealing the sort of the inner chaos in trump world what is in those files so it's so funny right well let's cast our memories back to january 6th in the heat of the moment when it actually looked like the trump administration was going to face some significant consequences for the january 6th riot and what's so interesting reading this new batch of texts is you can see trump world acting sort of sanely sort of making rational predictions about just how fucked they were. So I wanted to read some texts between Hope Hicks, she's a Trump aide, and Julie Radford, she's Ivanka Trump's former chief of staff, because I think they were really illuminating about how the Trump administration was viewing their position at the time. Hope Hicks writes, in one day, he ended every future opportunity that doesn't include speaking engagements at the local Proud Boys chapter. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. I mean, Hope's dropping some good jokes here. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That's prescient. Also, I love how the Trump administration has always been like, we don't know who the Proud Boys are. They know exactly who the Proud yes. Boys are. <laughs> and Hope goes on to say, all of us that didn't have jobs lined up will be perpetually unemployed. I'm so mad and upset. We look like domestic terrorists now. Now, Hope, I don't think your job opportunities are really the main concern as the riot is ongoing, but it is very interesting that she pulls this domestic terrorist line. She doesn't really actually refute that 
they are engaged of something of the sort. It's more about the image. We look like domestic terrorists now. Hope has always been one of those people who does actually have, I think, a saner read on public image, on media. And so it's interesting to see her assess this moment and say, oh, damn, I'm not getting a job ever again. It is interesting. I mean, what we've seen, I think, a lot with these Trump figures where it's like, yes, I'm happy to hitch my wagon to this person and separating them, I think, from like the true believers. But these folks who were saying who saw an opportunity with Trump and then suddenly on January 6th, they go like, "Ooh, wait, is this souring? Because I mean, look, I mean, without Trump, I mean, who's Hope Hicks? Like, we've never heard of her. Excuse me, Will. She was on the cover of the It Girl Gossip Girl spinoffs. <laughs> OK, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. It is interesting seeing because you have to imagine. I mean, Hope Hicks is someone who I think emerged from the Trump administration with a relatively intact reputation. You should have to go work at like some relatively Republican friendly company. Like, I mean, I don't think she could be like the head of the ACLU or like a flag. <laughs> but then suddenly you see it's like, oh, wait, is just being in the Trump administration going to become this toxic thing? And yeah, I sometimes deal with it's been a little while, but I would deal with these things where particularly when people were getting banned from Twitter and they would these right wing figures would call me up and they'd say, oh, you know, I've ruined my life in sort of a, everyone's so unfair to me. Why is everyone so mean to me? All this kind of stuff. And it's like, look, I mean, there is a bargain that people make, which is that by either doing outrageous things or working for this terrible president, that it will somehow benefit your career and then but at the same time there's also a very good chance it will go south in a big way that being a regular normal media commentator won't do and so suddenly when this does go south i think there's a lot of recriminations and feeling that oh poor me yeah absolutely i think this is maybe a larger scale of something that we see a lot in more explicit white supremacist movements, right? A lot of leaders of those movements, like Richard Spencer, they know that they are damaging their followers' reputations, right? They know that they are making these people unemployable, undesirable, and that actually keeps them in the fold with the most extreme groups. I do think it's interesting to see it play out here among more acceptable Republicans, among the Hope Hickses who did actually hope for more mainstream jobs after the Trump administration to be like, oh, we've cast in our lot with the crazy Like, this is not going to play out well for us. But maybe the flip side of this is Hope Hicks was speaking on January 6th in a moment when I think they did consider real consequences. And it looks a little quaint in retrospect how screwed she thought she was because she's citing condemnations from people who ultimately wouldn't really matter. It's funny to me, she's complaining that Jared Kushner's brother's wife, who is the supermodel Carly Kloss, tweeted that the January 6th riot was unacceptable. She's saying, look, at Carly's throwing us under the bus. This is awful. How can she do this? Two years on, does anybody really on the right really care that supermodel Carly Kloss thought the Capitol attack was bad? I think maybe Hope Hicks was a little too optimistic about America's better judgment at that moment. It is also very like the world that Hope Hicks runs in. It's much more important what Carly Kloss's judgment is of you than the world that, say, a January 6th rioter might run in. I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, we saw this with some of the other testimony and stuff where people were like, oh, my God, being a Trump person is going to be radioactive. We're going to be pariahs. We're going to be, like, banished from society. They're going to impeach him, all this stuff. And then, of course, that did not happen. Side note about Carly Kloss. I was watching Project Runway once. She got a lot of heat from a rather rude contestant for her connections to the Trump family. So maybe 
it's especially sensitive for Carly. So Kelly, what else do we see here in these revelations? A lot has come out already in the January 6th hearings, but there's some just really nice color, really, <laughs> really kind of petty color about the Trump administration on that day and the days right after. A White House photographer who was tasked with filming Trump's kind of appeal for peace video on January 7th said he was really dragging his feet. He really didn't want to make this video. It didn't really seem like he was very contrite. And my favorite detail is he procrastinated by asking for Diet Coke. So I'm going to read her quote because it's wonderful. She says, his agitation of stopping and starting the conversation was based on asking for Diet Coke several times or stopping to take a sip and then starting again, immediately stopping and taking another sip and then starting again, reading some of the scroll and then asking for a new Coca-Cola or needing a towel to wipe his head or something. Anything that he could procrastinate with before getting the words out, he would do. That's our man, right? That's the guy who's been tweeting for decades about how you never see a thin person drinking Diet Coke, that sort of thing. That's his base personality. And it's nice that he reverts to that in a moment of stress. It's the Diet Coke pulling him through this horrible moment. So Kelly, I understand that these text messages also reveal some sort of internal tensions between Trump world figures and January 6th rally organizer and now Kanye Savant, Ali Alexander. Yeah, absolutely. So Ali Alexander was really core to the organizing of the rally that preceded the January January 6th riot. And he is one of those figures that Trump world will work alongside, but maybe not explicitly ally itself with. Just a little bit too weird to be seen sitting at the lunch table with. So as things were going south, we saw a lot of Trump world bashing of Ali Alexander. This is a great one from Dan Scavino. He's a Trump campaign coordinator to Katrina Pearson. He says, I never spoke with Ali. He is a fraud. He says the Donald Trump tweet on December 19th, the one that said, come to the Capitol, it will be wild. He says the tweet had absolutely nothing to do with Ali or any of his people. Trump does his own tweets. So I think it's really interesting that even as Trump is wrapped up in this moment, in this riot, Trump world is saying, okay, yes, but it's not because of that guy. We were crazy mm -hmm. independently of that guy. He's a step too far. And although Ali isn't named in this next exchange, I do think it kind of hints at him. This is Katrina Pearson, who previously was talking and bashing Ali Alexander. She texts Congressman Max Miller. She goes, and this is why I fought so hard to keep certain people off the stage January 6th. So there's a lot of face saving, a lot of tossing the weirdos under the bus. And I think that's where Ali Alexander landed, at least for a couple months after the riot. It is really remarkable. These messages, these emails that have emerged where they're saying, oh, I tried to keep this nut Alex Jones off, whatever. Did it work, folks? No, there was a riot. <laughs> but it was sort of like, how can we kind of edge this crowd up to just rile them up as max as possible, but maybe not look at, not have someone just saying like, go kill them. So Kelly, what's your takeaway from all these revelations? It's come up again and again, this idea that Trump world, I think really rightly thought they were screwed and that ultimately they were fine. I think they expected a lot more backlash, a lot more recriminations, a lot more criminal charges against the core of their administration. And that didn't really happen. Trump's fans were able to overlook 
that rally to rehabilitate people who stormed the Capitol and to either wave off Trump's involvement or to valorize it. These tweets and texts come from a moment of sort of rational response from inside the White House, and that didn't actually mirror what the base wanted. So it's interesting. It's a time capsule. It's maybe a time capsule from a moment when we could have been better. We have long moved past that moment, but it's interesting to read after the fact. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Fever dreams like all Daily Beast journalism exist because of the generous support of our subscribers, the people who pay for access to Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, exclusive ad-free newsletters, and our undying appreciation. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com to sign up. All right, now we take our first 2023 journey into fresh hell, featuring a man known as the Liver King. Kelly, what is going on? So, Will, would you believe that the Liver King is not actually a credentialed doctor, that you should not take his medical advice, and that he might have landed himself in a liver-related lawsuit? (laughs) This all seems like it's getting a bit serious for a man who kind of cosplays as like a caveman. But yeah, so who is the Liver King and what kind of trouble has he ended up in? So, okay, the Liver King is another one of these masculinity influencers. He's a guy who generously, I would say, looks like he's about to explode just a very red figure, (laughs) pulsing veins, that sort of thing. He claims that he's unlocked his true potential, his ultimate health by only eating raw organ meat and blood, specifically livers. He has a really large TikTok following and he also, hey, conveniently sells parts of his liver diet. He encourages people to eat raw meat and says, oh, well, if you can't eat all this raw meat, I also have raw meat in pill form and supplement form. So this is the liver king. But late last year, revelations broke that maybe the liver king wasn't just subsisting on liver alone. In fact, he was taking something like $11,000 in steroids every single month, according to some... He's on gear. Listen, well, you look at this guy. This is the most visibly roided person I have ever seen. (laughs) So I don't know why this was a revelation, except that he had in the past, you just repeatedly been like, nope, it's not steroids. It's organ meat. It's not steroids, I swear. Well, 
But, you know, flash forward a few weeks. Now the liver kings, his serfs, his liver serfs are saying, well, hang on. Isn't this fraud? Earlier this month, somebody brought a lawsuit against the liver king saying that he basically defrauded them saying that the liver king knowingly hyped this diet that could never work, right? If you're just surviving on liver, you're going to get so sick, even if you can possibly choke it all down. So nobody could reasonably follow this diet that the liver king said he was subsisting on. And so when you fail at the diet, you feel like a fraud. You feel like just a shell of a man. You feel like a bug man living in the pod. <laughs> That's right. Live underground, eat the bugs. Well, in this case, you're going to eat the little liver capsules that the liver king is selling on his website. Now, those are not, I don't think, medically advised. And they're certainly not going to make you into this hulking big red man. So the lawsuit is effectively saying this is fraud. This is a guy weaponizing his influence, making people feel really bad about themselves so that he can shill these pills, which are absolutely never going to give people the gains that they want. Yeah, I gotta say, I'm not a lawyer, but I feel like there's a decent case here that if a guy is saying, look like me by taking these pills and then secretly he's on gear, I have to say the liver kick saga has made me just really like talking about gear <laughs> and getting on gear. And I was talking to my friends and saying maybe 2023 20, is the year the whole squad gets on gear. <laughs> This podcast is about to get so much more confrontational. Yeah, just Kelly. <laughs> what do we think will come of the liver king? So I share your assessment. Like this seems actually pretty open and shut. It does actually sound like this guy defrauded his fans, right? There's also, listen, well, I love this lawsuit because it keeps saying defendant liver king rarely invokes the guy's real name, which is Brian Johnson. It does actually, it has some pretty interesting quotes. It pulls from these emails that the liver king had with a guy called vigorous steve who is his former trainer with whom he discussed steroid use and what they seem to discuss in these emails is a pretty straightforward plot i think to build an online persona around the liver king starting in 2021 they allegedly said okay we're gonna get liver king so roided up we're gonna launch him online everyone's gonna buy whatever he's selling and so they've kind of got the smoking gun here and also oh listen we were talking earlier about bad apologies in the manosphere this lawsuit quotes the Liver King's apology video where he does admit to using steroids, but says that he was only doing it all so that he could inspire men so that they wouldn't feel weak and want to die of suicide. So I think this lawsuit kind of has them dead to rights. They're admitting to using steroids to effectively defrauding people. Yeah, all that's left, I think, is to see how many liver pills this guy can win with what a $25 million settlement, which is what he's seeking. Wow, he's going to have to give back all the livers, all the brains. <laughs> all the weird meats he's got okay as we close here listeners i just want to give a plug for a piece of media that, that i feel very passionate about look this podcast is called fever dreams but there's no better fever dream in the movie theaters right now than damien chagel's babylon <laughs> Now, this movie has flopped insanely hard. Reported $80 million budget, reportedly much higher than that. So let's say $100 million being conservative. But this movie, I saw it over the weekend. This is like the best movie I have seen in years. It's about old Hollywood. It takes an insane number of crazy swings. People may have heard that Tobey Maguire is in it in a truly bizarre role. And it is just, it just goes all out about, I would say 80% of those swings land. So, you know, your mileage may vary. And I don't think it's for all tastes, but it is truly just a, a insane movie. Yes, it is 
a little over three hours, but they breeze by. So I just wanted to give a plug. If there's any Academy voters listening, we got to go all in. Babylon, best picture this year. If we can go retroactive, give it in past years, really, because I think it's all led up to this. Yeah. Margot Robbie, please come on our podcast. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.